forgot that this was your <laughs> intro slide. That's hilarious. Well, I'm going to invite Pastor Anthony up so he can explain this. Um, but if you guys want to just pray with me one more time as we welcome Pastor Anthony up. Lord, we just thank you tonight that we get to hear your truth. We get to know you more. So God, I just pray that you prepare in our hearts um, to receive whatever it is that Pastor Anthony is going to bring. Oh, you sit me. Whatever Pastor Anthony is going to bring to us in, uh, in your revelation, in your word today. God, I just pray for the offering. I just thank you that your will is being done in this church, that we're seeing an impact happening through the ties and offerings and that we get to be part of it. So I just pray a blessing on everyone in this room, um, everyone who gives, and also everyone to just hear your truth and grow in it. We pray this on Jesus' name. Amen. How you guys doing? Good. Excellent. Make sure I know which way I'm clicking here. Oh, excellent. Okay. So, we're staying here. Tonight is a very dangerous night. It's a dangerous night because we plan out the preaching schedule a year in advance. And we decide what we're going to talk about. But sometimes, occasionally, there are one-offs. Say on a weekend when the other two churches are doing church at the camp and we're still having church on Saturday night. So this guy gets to talk about whatever he wants. So this is, I know it, right? So I have no idea what's going to happen. So let me give some disclaimers. If I get angry, I am not angry at you. Everybody say amen. amen. Okay. If I am offering, like, rebukes, or I seem condescending, I am probably not rebuking you, and I am certainly not being condescending to you. Everybody say amen. Amen. All right. If I am grim, it's important. I'm sorry, but it's necessary. And I really apologize if I cry or something weird like that, because I never know, because this stuff is really percolating in my heart and has been for months and months and months, guys. So... I am just as excited to find out what's going to happen with this as you are, no doubt. So what in the world are you looking at? This is a painting that was done in, I think, 1483 by a German painter named Hans Memling, right? And the name of the painting, I believe, is Morieris, which is what's written underneath the skull there. And Morieris, I don't know Latin, guys. I had to look it up, right? I mean, I, I have no idea, but it's like, oh, it's the... Second person future indicative of the Latin verb morir or something like that. So I was like, oh, what does that mean? Well, second person is you, future is in the future, and indicative is what's going to happen, right? Or what has happened. And morir means to die. So the title of the painting of the skull is You Will Die. Morieris. This was written as a reminder to Christians. Let's talk about it. If Morieris is too, like, pretentious of a title, because, I mean, I don't If you speak Latin, let me know. Maybe Leonard. Leonard, do you Latin? Any Latin at all? Okay, nobody in here speaks Latin. So now we need an English title. Oh, sweet. Leah does. No way, really? That's awesome. So for Leah, the title of today's sermon is Morieris. Okay? For all of the rest of us, it can be life through the eyes of death. All right? Now, what, did I, what got me on this trend? What got me thinking about death? Which, you know, most of the time we think of death as a grim thing. I got some knee sleeves. Why? Because I love to work out. It's my mom's fault. I've been doing it my whole life. And, you know, I turned 38 this year. And I'm like, I'm going to get some neoprene knee sleeves for when I work out so that I have knees, like, you know, 30 years later. 
And I got a brand named Stoic, Stoic Knee Sleeves. And they had a quote from a Stoic on the box. That Stoic's name was Seneca. Seneca was a Roman philosopher. He died about 65 AD. And the quote on the box of my knee sleeves was, He who fears death will never do anything worthy of a man who is alive. And from the moment I got those, I took a picture of that and still the screensaver on my phone. And I was like, whoa, that resonated. Right? So I'm like, who is this Seneca dude? Well, Seneca, I've listened to some of his stuff on YouTube, his moral letters and things like that. And the guy knows some pretty good stuff. I mean, he says some good things. And that got me thinking about, like, well, he's a Stoic, so what are these Stoic philosophers all about? And it turns out there's a bunch of them. You know, Marcus Aurelius, if you've ever heard of him. And they all say some pretty good things. But they're not Christians, right? I am not a Stoic at all. I am a Christian who was inspired by a quote from a Stoic. And what this led me to was a practice of using death. But let's talk about death first. Seneca says, He who fears death will never do anything worthy of a man who is alive. This presupposes that we all have a fear of death problem, right? We do. The Bible says this, though, in Hebrews 2, 9 and 14 to 15. We see Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So that through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is, the devil. And he might free those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. We believe as Christians that we are freed from the fear of death because Jesus wrecked it. We believe that death was this huge intimidating thing, the last enemy the Bible calls it, wielded by the devil as if it was his like death greatsword or something. And Jesus handled the devil and handled death too. He has reduced death from the thing that had all of humanity enslaved just through fear. He has reduced it to a tool, a pawn that does his bidding. And in the end, it too is going to be destroyed. So death is off of its high horse. It has lost its sting. It is not a player for the Christian. It still exists, but it serves a function. It's dethroned as an enemy. Does that make sense? Yes. The function I want to talk about it serving today is this. More Latin, I know. It's crazy. But this is... When I got into a band, I started Googling Seneca and all this stuff. I found this practice. It's been around forever. Well, a couple thousand years anyway. It's called Memento Mori, which is even more Latin that only Leah speaks, which means remember you will die. Memento is remember. Mori is you will die. Other translations say you must die. It's inevitable. You cannot avoid it. This is a practice that has been used by the Stoics but so fully adopted by the church that if you Google Memento Mori and you go to Wikipedia because, I mean, can we just all admit it? Like, that's where we all go first, right? I mean, even if we're writing a scholarly paper, like, that tells us where to go next. <laughs> this is the very first thing under Memento Mori in, in Wikipedia. Memento Mori is the medieval Latin Christian theory and practice of reflection on mortality especially as a means of considering the vanity of earthly life and the transient nature of all earthly goods and pursuits. It's related to the art of dying in similar Western literature. It's a practice. 
It uses death as a tool. How in the world does remembering that you're going to die, Morieris, you will die, what kind of grim tool is that? A very necessary one. And I might add, a thoroughly Christian one. We're not Stoics, forget that. Thank you, Seneca. He just he introduced me to the concept, right? And the Bible took over. When we go to the Bible, we discover that this is so central, I don't know how we've missed it. I actually do, and I'll talk about it later. It kind of ticks me off. But we have missed it. We've gotten away from it. This is what it says. Oh, Stephen Covey. Man, I forgot I had this slide. <laughs> Seven Habits, people? Anybody? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. All right. If Memento Mori is also too pretentious, you can just steal Stephen Covey's line. Begin with the end in mind. It will accomplish the same purpose. Thank you, Stephen. You know you're a Mormon. So we got Mormons, we got Stoics. What kind of sermon is this? I don't know. Moving on to the Bible. Here we go. Now we're safe. Psalm 90, 10 and 12. Listen to what David writes. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. Here's the important part. He's asking God now, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You might say, look, man, you must have been in a really pessimistic mood to say the best of life is but trouble and sorrow. But regardless of the mood he's in, the request he makes to God is act. It's fitting. It's good. We need to take it to heart. Teach me to number my days. Remind me that this thing doesn't go on forever. I have a limited amount of time. And in realizing that, I will gain a heart of wisdom. Ecclesiastes 7 says it in an even more poignantly poetic way. I was almost an onomatopoeia. Ecclesiastes 7, 2, and 4. The author of Ecclesiastes, which may well have been Solomon, says this. It's better to go to a house of mourning, which I believe in context is a house where someone has died. It's a funeral. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Why? For death is the destiny of everyone, and the living should take this to heart. This is not Seneca. This is the Bible. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Do you know why I think that is? Because the wise man that goes to the house of mourning, where they're mourning the passing of a living person who was here yesterday numbers his days instinctively and realizes, not in a grim way, but in a realistic way, one day they will mourn me on a table like that one. He numbers his days. He gets a heart of wisdom. It's a fool that says, this thing is just going to go on forever. So give me my iPhone. Let's go to another party. I care all about the superficial stuff. I care about the songs that are coming out. This is what my life revolves around. Let's go to the bar. Let's do anything but what matters. So that I can convince myself death isn't coming. That's foolish. It's foolish. Jesus talks about a man who lived his life as if death wasn't coming in Luke. He tells a parable about a rich man who already had plenty of stuff. And yet his harvest is super good. He's got all this grain. He doesn't know what to do with it. So in Luke 12, 18 to 20, Jesus tells about the rich man that says, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns for he's already got tons of stuff. And I will build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life, take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. 
What is he saying? He's saying, you got plenty of stuff. Go to the house of feasting, man. Go to the house of pleasure. Just enjoy it. Dude, all your worries are over. You are set. Like you won three lottos in a row. You got billions. You got houses upon houses upon houses. Now you can just enjoy the ride, right? But Jesus says this, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is a throwback to Ecclesiastes. Where the author of Ecclesiastes says the rich people work all their life for their riches. They die and somebody else gets it. This guy thought the house of feasting was going to go on and on and on and on. He did not number his days. He never went to the heart of the house of mourning. And he was a fool. To put a finer point on it, we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ lived his life with death in front of his face. We know this because he tells us over and over and over again. Here's just one example from Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer. Should I go on that rabbit trail right now? I think I would. I'm going to do it. Let's just pause. We're going to focus here for a minute. Do you guys realize we have a suffering God? Do you realize that he did not have to suffer? Do you realize he suffered because he made us, loved us, wanted relationship with us, and we stabbed him in the back. He knew suffering is what it would take to get us back. He knew suffering was the only way to get back in relationship with his kids and save his kids from the faith they deserve. Had to be suffering, no other way. So he chooses suffering. What's going to happen when we get to heaven? He's going to wipe all our tears away. There will be no more suffering. Hold on. Wait a minute. There will be no more suffering or pain anymore. Do you realize that now, in this life, is your only opportunity to understand this aspect of God? You will not have another do-over to experience suffering. And so touch that part of God's own being. It could very well be, in a strange way, that suffering, suffering itself, is one of the treasures of this age that you will not get a chance to touch again. Now we're back. We all back? We're back to the slide. Okay, told you. I didn't know what was going to happen. He knew that he had to suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. Somebody say killed. killed. Somebody say killed means dead. Killed means dead. Okay, we're all on the same page. And on the third day, something happens after that, though, be raised to life. Amen. Whoa. His disciples don't like him pointing out that he has to suffer and die. Many of you probably don't like the fact that I'm pointing out the fact that we have to suffer and die. So they rebuke Jesus. I mean, that's the logical next move, right? Peter stands up and says, hey, by no means, this can't happen to you. And Jesus gives him, like, the harshest rebuke, dude. It's amazing. Because Jesus knows this isn't an option. This is what he has to do if he's going to get his children back. And then he looks forward. He rebukes Peter and says this. Peter, dude, and all you disciples who just saw what happened. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What does it matter if you spend your life in the house of feasting, if you lose your soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, 
and then he will reward. Somebody say reward. Reward. Each person according to what they have done. To realize Jesus is saying, I must suffer and die. Peter says, no, you can't. He says, shut up. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block. I will. Because I know what happens next. Because my eyes are fixed on what happens. And yours should be too. Don't lose your soul trying to gain the world. Don't lose your soul thinking life is supposed to be fun. Man, I think Jesus would love it if all of us could just enjoy our lives. Have you noticed? Things are not the way they're supposed to be. God is a realist, and the whole Bible is a book that looks squarely and realistically at this existence. And it says there will be suffering. Will you walk through it? Does that make sense? Excellent. But look forward. Look forward past what? Past death. Here's where we separate the Christians from the Stoics, or the Christians from the Buddhists, or the Christians from any other ist or ism out there in our contemplation of death. We know that there is a set pattern of events. Here it is from Hebrews. <clears throat> Hebrews 9, 27 to 28. People are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Remember death, not in the context of it annihilating your existence, but in the context of that ushering in the appraisal of your life that you will only get one chance to do. Everybody excited? Good. Again, remember, if I've seen that, I'm not mad at you. If I've seen rebuking, I'm probably not rebuking you. Okay, we all good? Because we're going to move on to some harder stuff now. All right, sounds good. Takeaway number one. This is really something that I feel like needs to be infused back into the Christian life. Because things are dangerous now. Because we've removed it. And here it is. Be sober and diligent. Diligent? Be reb sop and vigilant. Be sober and vigilant. Darn it. English. English. We need to take this back. 1 Peter 5.8 Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. In theory? No. In reality. And he doesn't show up and knock on your door and say, Hello, I'm the devil. He's got way better ways to devour us than that. He's got an entire culture in every nation around the world that is in some way or another opposed to Christianity. Every single one of them. The whole world is set against you. Why? Because the Bible calls the devil the little g god of this world. You may notice things are not the way they're supposed to be. There's suffering entailed. Moving on. This really irritated me. Do you guys recognize this Instagram post? Hopefully nobody does. Oh, yeah. This is the Instagram post that came out a couple days from Hillsong songwriter Marty Sampson, who wrote some songs that everyone would know if I mentioned them. And he says, basically, he sense deleted it. He's like, guys, I accidentally lost my faith. Oh, woe is me. And then he writes some stuff that I don't feel bad saying is the same garbage that I was writing as a bitter 16-year-old. <laughs> oh, I don't see many miracles. Oh, so many pastors are falling away. Oh, isn't the Bible full of contradictions? You didn't work through this, Marty? Seriously? When you're writing All I Need Is You? Here's what I'm afraid of. Here's what I'm really, really, really concerned about. Is that 
This is exactly what one commentator I was listening to said it was. This is like the parable of the sower. Where the guy had all this flash and talent and no roots. None. Seriously. Please. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. That's all we talk about, Marty. Yeah. How many miracles happen? Not many. That one really kicks, 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 Anthony. Kicks me off. Sorry. We're being recorded. Listen to me. Okay? Miracles don't happen all the time. That's all right. Do you know what the purpose of the miracles are? The purpose of the miracle is to serve as a sign and a wonder. What does it point to? Signs serve a function. The miracles point to the cross. The miracle of Christ crucified and Christ resurrected is the only miracle your faith can, can, not should. It is the only miracle your faith can rest on. That's it. I have seen people get their knees healed and their backs healed. And I have experienced doubt in my own life that I didn't see or didn't experience what I just saw a couple hours or a day before. Marty Sampson thinks that some miracle is going to convince him that God is real? Does Mr. Sampson think that God is under some obligation to prove himself again quarterly when he's been crucified and resurrected? Did Mr. Sampson never work out the problem of evil that the church has been wrestling with for 2,000 years? Justin Dumois could have helped this guy walk through this because he's invested in his faith maybe more than this songwriter. Stop it. When I see people on stage and their eyes are closed and they're singing the same chorus over and over and over and over again, I worry about that. Because I like emotion. I like the goosebumps. I like it when I experience something amazing from art. I like it when I encounter the Holy Spirit in worship. I love it, and I do, man. But you need roots. And so I'd like to encourage everyone. While we're talking about remembering the fact that death and suffering is an inevitable part of this life, inject some sober-minded seriousness and some vigilance back into your faith. Because the Bible calls out what's going to happen to people that don't. The sun's going to rise, and even though they made a good show of it, they're going to wither and die. Let's pray that Marty Sampson talks to some good people, cracks a book by Rabbi Zacharias, gets a phone call from William Lane Craig, or any of the other Christians that can help him answer these basic questions. Amen? Moving on. How are we doing? This is why they give me a preaching schedule. Do you guys know who this is? You do? Who is it? It is John Cooper. God bless you. John Cooper responded to Marty Sampson, proving to my soul, thank you, Jesus, that the true guardians of faith and doctrine are the purveyors of metal. <laughs> John Cooper of Skillet looks at this Josh Harris guy who apostatized, looks at Marty Sampson, and he just eviscerates the arguments by saying this. It's time for the church to rediscover the preeminence of the Word mm. yeah. and to value the teaching of the Word. We need to value truth over feeling, truth over emotion, and what we are seeing now, what we are seeing now, and I think he's right, is the result of the church raising up influencers who did not supremely value truth and who have led a generation who also do not believe in the supremacy of truth. And now these disavowed leaders 
are proudly still leading and influencing boldly away from the truth. Be careful who you let influence you. Guard your heart. Be sober. Be vigilant. One good way to do that is to remember you're going to die. Back to topic. We're the Christians who refuse to be charmed by culture when it agrees with them or cowed by it when it is against them, who will toe the line for Christ alone, come what may, until they die. If someone has told you that the Christian life is about something other than this, you have been sold a sugary sweet fake. And I'm sorry. This is the call. Moving on. We're going to get into some hard stuff now. Is that okay? All right. So why did they come with the preach on? I'm telling you. If you're remembering death, if you're counting your days to gain a heart of wisdom, one of the things you will instinctively start doing is not wasting your time. I'm not going to belabor this point too much. I think David nailed it. I hope it was David who wrote this psalm. I've said that twice now. But he says, look, these days you have, they quickly pass. I'm going to be 38 in a couple weeks. I just got my mind around the fact that I'm not in my 20s. Like, is everyone else over 30 like are we all in the same boat come on amen amen I see those hands I see those hands we need that many hands later dude they quickly pass this is true for everybody listen to me Morieris you will die what do you need to do that you are not doing when death comes and serves its new role as the ultimate prioritizer what do you need to be doing that you are not doing I'll tell you one way I failed. A couple weeks ago, I was walking home from the gym in the morning, and I saw a guy that visited this church twice. And both times I saw him at church, he asked me for something. Okay? I was not in the mood to be asked for something. I was late getting home. So I thought to myself, I hope he doesn't see me. I'm wearing a hoodie. I'll just act like I didn't see him. And I made it by, right, with no encounter. And immediately, I felt the Holy Spirit kind of give me one right in the ribs. You know, and I'm telling you, Christian maturity so much is just allowing the Holy Spirit to ask you questions, right? So I'm like, Lord, why did I do that? Why did I do that? I feel like the Lord's like, because you didn't want to interact with that guy. I'm like, oh, that's gross. And then I felt this in my spirit. If you were going to die today, Anthony Davis, pastor of the church down the street that he's visited twice, if you were going to die today, would you have robbed him of the opportunity to interact with you? Would you have robbed him of the opportunity to be encouraged by you? For you to say that you remembered him. I don't know why that's. Ah, okay, we're back. Sorry, that's not happening. This guy did not have a lot of friends. He was not homeless, but he was obviously desperate. I'm going back to my house where I got hot coffee and an amazing wife and a two-year-old, a house full of joy and warmth. And I ditched this guy because I didn't want to give him my time. I repented. Today, I'm leaving the store, and I see this guy, different guy. You guys go down Midtown Fresh, it's got that huge hill, like, coming up off of, dude, it's crazy. And this old man, no lie, he's, like, barely making it up the hill in a wheelchair. He's got, like, this long, scraggly gray beard, and i like, dude, it was like the cry in my heart was instantaneous. Like, if I was going to die today, I wouldn't care if I put my car in park and left it on with the door open. Right? So that I can run to this guy before he falls down the hill and push him up the walk. So I did. And nobody stole my car. Praise God. 
You know what I mean? So I figured I'd tell a loss and a win at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's that was the best thing I've done all week. Anyway, it happens. So, dude, don't waste your time. What needs to be done? Maybe not for you. What needs to be done in your family? Who do you need to call? What do you need? What work is your, is a priority? You are going to die. You get one shot, and after this, the judgment. The appraisal is coming. You want a heads up? You want a spoiler alert? Everybody lives forever. But but here's the pattern. You get this life, and then you die, and then there's an appraisal. There's a judgment, and then you live forever feeling the repercussions of the appraisal. Why do you think it's always the bad guys who are searching for immortality in the movies and the books? Because everybody lives forever, but they want to avoid the appraisal. The appraisal is coming. You will die. Remember. You guys are ready to get into some slightly less hard stuff? That was Moses. Yeah, David. Was it Moses? Oh, thank you, Justin. See, this is what I'm saying. Marty Sampson, why didn't you talk to Justin anymore? <laughs> One day, you're going to get your chance, man. All right, we're going to get to some lighter stuff after some even more heavy stuff. Next application, we got two more. This is important. Remember, you're going to die. Make sure you die away from shame and not into it. Die away from shame and not into it. Why do I say die away from shame? Because you don't think you're going to be slimed with shame? From this world that's run by the little g-god of this world, the devil himself, who's prowling around like a roaring lion trying to take you out, you are. Here's some wonderful promises that I've paraphrased from Jesus. They hated me, they'll hate you, Jesus. You will be mocked, Jesus. You will be ostracized, Jesus. You will be called liars. The second part of that is even though you're true. And some of you will be killed. This is from Jesus. This is realism. And Jesus has the audacity to say, when the whole world is treating you with contempt and they are pouring shame and mockery on you and they don't even want to associate you, and some of you, they're calling you liars even though you're trying to tell them the truth. Does this sound familiar? And they actually kill some of you. When it gets really, really, really bad, when the friends start disappearing and the neighbors start glaring at you and the phone calls stop coming and the church shrinks and things are looking grim and maybe tomorrow you're going to be the next person to disappear. This isn't happening here. It is happening. Jesus says, know that you're winning. Know that you're winning. How in the world does this look like winning? It looks like winning because you die... And then there's an appraisal. And Jesus does the appraisal. The Bible says this in Hebrews again, 12, 1 and 2. Let us run with perseverance the sucky, crappy, difficult race full of suffering. Marked out for us. Okay, that's not in there. I added it, but it's true. Hold on. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. The pioneer, the one who did it first. And the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He looked past the shame. This is the author of Hebrews inviting you to do the same thing. Jesus is the pioneer of this mindset. No matter what shame they give you, they stripped Jesus naked and killed him. 
And this verse says that Jesus, who is the ultimate BA, as well as being other things, <laughs> scoffed at the shame. He mocked it. In his heart, he despised it. He's like, ha, I'll take all the shame you've got. Pour it on. Because I'm seeing past this death to the glory set before me. It's an invitation for all of us and every Christian throughout history to do the same thing. Then he sat down at the right hand of God. So don't get weary and lose heart. You might be filled with shame right now. The world might be pouring it on you. That's okay. You get to die away from it. Just make sure you don't die into it. Because there are ways of living now. This guy, I think it's Josh Harris, is the other guy that just gave up this page. He's the author of uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Dude, I read his post too. I just wanted to sock this guy. Like, this is a man who has been taken out by culture. And he was made ashamed of holding on to the faith and the morality of the faith. The shame beat him. I have some bad, bad news. And let's pray for him too. You know what I'm saying? Because it's not over till it's over, man. I mean, you can recognize you made a couple mistakes and come back, right? I have. Anybody else in this room? Okay, excellent. So there's hope for you, Josh Harris. But here's the thing. If you give up and you say, Jesus, I'm ashamed of you. I'm sick of the world shaming me for you. So I'm now ashamed of you. You'll get shame. But that shame is going to come on the eternal side of the appraisal. Let's make sure that does not happen. Amen? Now can we get into some lighter stuff? Too bad. Sorry. <laughs> this is the last one. Die into a reward and not away from it. This is the opposite. God said to him, You fool. This is the guy that built the bigger barns, right? This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Here's the next verse I didn't have in there last time. This is how it will be with whoever stores up such things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. If you were concerned with treasure and reward now, you get nothing. You can have all you want if you're capable enough. If you're Bill Gates, you know what I mean? You have all these people that are super capable, super wealthy. They can have all the wealth they want right now. But how much are they going to have on the eternal side of the appraisal? They will die. This is a concern. We need to take this to heart. Check it out. Luke 12, 32 to 34. This is right after that story. Jesus says, here's the right way to think about it. Don't be like this fool who wanted to spend his life in the house of feasting. He says, your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying, live in such a way that I'm proud of you. Forget if they say you're an idiot. Forget if they're pouring shame on you. Live in such a way that you are making deposits into this amazingly huge account that you will have access to when? After you die. On the eternal side of the appraisal. So when you're deciding how to live, memento mori. Remember, you will die. And this really cuts hard for spiritual people. Because Jesus talked about a way that we can look like we're doing it right and still get nothing on the eternal side of the appraisal. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, when you give, you know, it looks like you're giving to the poor, 
like in Luke, right? But you make a big show of it. He says, don't you make a huge deal out of your giving. And when you pray, you better not be like making a big show of it. You know, don't only pray to me when people are listening. Don't do that. Jesus says, I need the real thing. When you fast, don't be that guy. You know that guy that forgets to shave and is just so extra tired. Like, best faster I ever met in my life, Sean Clinton. Amen, baby. Like, <laughs> used to fast all the time. The only way I knew was that gallon jug of water you carried around. Like, you were like the ultimate faster. You know? Ultimate Yeah. <laughs> when you fast, don't make it obvious. Jesus is saying, don't do spirituality for show. I'm not impressed with that. Those deposits are not getting through. In fact, Jesus sums it up by saying this. In Matthew 6, 2, 6, 5, and 6, 16. These fools have already received their reward. The people that are impressed by them, that's all the reward they're going to get. But on the eternal side of the appraisal, nothing, nothing. Remember, you will die. Memento mori. It sounds so pretentious. I'm sorry I keep saying it. But that's the name of the practice. Death has been relegated to a tool for Christians. Jesus has defeated it. The fear of death holds no sway over us. Use the tool. Let it prioritize your life. In the book of 2 Peter, Peter says this in chapter 3. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. You guys know that when you read the stuff in the Bible about the day of the Lord coming and everything ending, you can just substitute your death for that. Because you're going to meet Jesus one of two ways. Either he's going to show up or you're going to show up at his house. But the result is the same. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. That means exposed. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? In light of the fact that by death or by second coming, this thing is over, man. The house of feasting does not last forever. So I would encourage you to be these kinds of people. Sober and vigilant. The type of people that do not waste their time. The type of people that are determined to die away from shame, not into it, and into a reward, and not away from it. And I would encourage you to do this with the help of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit by remembering that you will die. Amen.